Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in.net. I'm Sean Kleber, your host, and with me today from New Orleans, Caleb Wells. Hey y'all. How's it going, hey, Sean? Y'all. It's going good. It's going good. It's hot, but it's uh we've got lucky we haven't had any forest fires really that many this That's year, good. so I haven't had the bring out the uh the smoke filters and things like that so that's pretty good but. yeah we we haven't really had too many issues with uh hurricanes yet knock on wood of course yeah, Lots of mosquitoes, though. still a lot of that season left though so <laughs> there is to go. there's a lot of that season left <laughs> but so far yeah. so good yeah. all right great let's bring out our guest today new father we've got albert star reveled welcome albert hello hey thanks hey. for having me yeah. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs, and lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Give us a little bit of introduction about yourself, where you at, what kind of things you do, and how you got into .NET. Well, as you said, I'm Albert Starveld. I'm from the Netherlands. I live in Utrecht and I work for a consultancy firm called uh, VX Company in Barn. And well, I help a lot of clients shifting to continuous delivery. So I, I work with a lot of, of different topics, like how, how do you make your application smaller? How can you uh, introduce the deployment pipelines? How do you automate testing? But there's also a big component in that, like when you chop your application in smaller parts, then how do you deal with authentication? And I think that is something that we're going to talk about today. Yep. Yeah, definitely, yep. definitely. So how did you end up in the .NET world? Uh, well, I had this internship at this, this company and they asked me to validate 900 IP addresses and I had to use RDP and I had to like log into all these servers and then type my username and password, click start, uh, configuration panel, TCP IP settings, and it just took forever. And I figured, how can I do this in a simpler way? And then I found out that there was this uh, Windows management interface, which I could type some code with. And well, I started using that. And next to me, uh, there was this man and his neighbor had a company and they were writing software to manage networks in .NET. And he said, you guys should uh, maybe talk to each other. So I started working there and they taught me what uh, .NET really is. And from there, uh, well, I started getting another job and another job, and I started learning more and more and more. And here I am, I think, about 15 years later. So that's that's how it all started. Nice. Awesome. Nice. <laughs> so you mentioned, you know, we're going to talk about authentication. So where's the best place to start our discussion about authentication today? Well, actually, I think since I, I started this first job at this network monitoring software company, a lot has changed. And I figured maybe that's a nice place to start because 
when I just started working with, with .NET, we had this thing called uh, forms authentication and you could deploy this table structure in your database and then you could store a username and your password and then people could log in and then uh, you would log in with the session and, and everything would work. But then things started changing and uh, this concept called single sign-on was introduced and we started making stateless APIs and we started doing things with uh, with tokens and well a lot of things changed because uh, we were not storing uh, usernames and passwords in our in our applications anymore and we were storing things in in other places we started using other services to authenticate like you could log in with Google and you could log in with uh, maybe your GitHub account so and that would also mean that, well, logging in was not logging into just one application. You started logging into a lot of applications. And, well, that really changed a lot of things because now you had these things called, well, claims, identities in .NET. I don't, don't know. You know it, right? So basically what happens is somebody logs in on some external service, some identity provider, and you get this token and you start posting that to your API. And then, well, uh, compared to forms authentication, in forms authentication, when you would log in, people used to work with roles. So you would assign a role to a user. You would uh, say, used to. you are maybe, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some people but still do. I <laughs> wish, I wish, I wish you some. Um, some of us still stuck with it. But yeah, yeah, keep going. You're right. Yeah, that's, but uh, that's, that's a really interesting topic because things really started changing there because in instead of well having roles that apply to your application instead you would have an some identity from some external provider saying hey this is john and he has red hair <laughs> so now how do you say if he has access to your accounting application yes or no so you had to start thinking about policies instead of like assigning a role or or something like that and that really you really had to change the way you thought about authentication things got more complex because now you had to have this identity provider but this identity provider contained some information which, well, was really generic. But how do you deal with that in your application? And there are several ways to do that. It, maybe it's interesting to, uh, to, to start with uh, some uh, situations that I, I see a lot in organizations. I always compare uh, with Spotify because what we see in organizations is basically the same thing as logging into Spotify in the, in the sense that you can log into Spotify with your Facebook account. So there's this, well, abstract identity provider and your, well, specific application. But you're not only logging into, well, Spotify with your Facebook account. You're also logging into maybe, I don't know, uh, Instagram. And they're all completely different applications. So you could say that the identity information that you would receive from, from this identity provider is not uh, complete enough to apply a policy that makes sense in your application. So um, we see the same thing in organizations. So say you have an organization and you have different services for for different clients say maybe you have an organization that sells some accounting software to uh, to people but also some uh, crm software so uh, in abstract that might be the same thing because as an organization you have one customer which is a customer to your organization you want him to log in with one account another great example that that you can compare it with is office 365 you log into Office 365 and you can use Microsoft Word. You could use uh, Excel, but you could also 
use Jammer. So those are all things that may, may be in your subscription, yes or no. And all these applications require different information. So uh, what we see a lot in organizations is that they introduce their own uh, identity provider and uh, they uh, federate that identity provider with another identity provider. So they, they delegate the authentication process. Somebody comes back to, well, the organization-specific identity provider. And what happens there is they do add claims that are specific to, to an organization. Say they have a unique customer ID, but that is something that, that gets added to, to the IDP that is internal to the organization. And But then there's this development team and they need to work on it. And they say, hey, but I, I need to have uh, th this license maybe for this, this part that I'm building. So where can you put it in your IDP? And then the team goes like, no, we can't. <laughs> and well, then the team goes, why not? And then they say, well, well, we just don't want to have all that information. Uh, and then they say, why not? And basically what why you do not want to do that is because the nice thing about OAuth and OpenID Connect is that you are delegated uh, delegating authentication now. And the big advantage of delegating uh, authentication is that you can keep adding applications to that. And if you want to have more and more applications using that authentication service, you got to make sure that you don't leak all sorts of information about these specific applications in this identity provider, because then the thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point you're getting stuck because, well, you need to make a change to your application, but there's probably something specific to your application, maybe in this identity provider. Now you need to update that too. So you want to prevent the situation that you need to keep up updating an identity provider and an application when you release a new feature. So that's that's why you want to say, I want to have an identity provider which only has identity information. And then when you put application-specific context about a person in your API, well, you're now in control of what you add to it. So this makes it easier to, well, add more applications because your, your IDP doesn't grow. And it makes it easier for the team that is working on this specific API maybe, because uh, they are in control of whatever they're adding to it. But this gets interesting because you need to store information, uh, maybe identity information in your application now, which is something that you don't want, right? Because, well, we all need to be GDPR compliant. And when somebody calls and says, hey, uh, I don't want to be in your IT landscape anymore, what we don't want is uh, go to all the departments and say, hey, I got John here on the phone and uh, I was wondering if he's in your database, could you maybe look him up and maybe also in your blob store and I don't know what, maybe in your event stream and, and so forth. That's not really a situation that's very manageable. So instead, what you want to have is you want to have a situation in, in which you have, well, identity uh, information personally identifiable information in, well, one part of your landscape, your identity provider, as the name implies, and you want to uh, disconnect that from, well, data that is specific to your application. So when you log in with, with OAuth, you get this access token, you post it to your API, you probably have done that. And what you will see is this token contains some claims. And one of those claims is the subject ID. And this is an ID that is unique to the person that is logging in. And what you can do with it is you can use it to store maybe license information. And if you link a subject ID to maybe license information or something like that, you will create a situation in which 
all the information about a person's identity is uh, well in one place and all the application specific information is in another. So if John calls and says, hey, I want to be forgotten, all you need to do is go to the identity provider and remove John there because all the personally identifiable information is there and uh, the other information is well in the application uh, and that's fine. So you, so you, get, a, so you, get, a, you get a token and then do you have to do something to get the claims out of that? How, you know, what's the process there? Or does the token just kind of expose those claims? And then, of course, what are claims? That's a good question. What do you have to do? Well, uh, not much because uh, Microsoft has made it really easy. But maybe it's more interesting to talk about what this token actually is. Because it looks like some encrypted form of data, but it's really not. It's a, a base64 encrypted uh, string, and this string contains JSON. So you can just base64 60, uh, decrypt any access token that you can see in your network uh, tab in your browser. When you use a website that uses OAuth, you can just grab that token and, well, base64 decrypt it. And what you will see is that there is a bunch of data in there. And it will contain different information. It will contain the subject ID. It will uh, contain the audience. It will contain scope. So it's, it's just raw data. Um, it consists of three parts. There are two parts that are really interesting. That's the, the section in the, in the middle. Parts are divided by dots. But the section in the middle is JSON that contains information about the person. And the third part contains some form of a, a checksum that you can use to validate if the token has been tampered with. It's encrypted with the private key from the identity provider. And you can ask the identity provider, hey, this, this person has sent this base64 encrypted, well, uh, encrypted uh, formatted data. And uh, how do I know he didn't put it, somebody else's name in? So you can go back to the identity provider, say, I got this, this checksum here. Is that correct? And that's something really important. So if you want to see what the claims are, what you really need to do is, uh, well, base64 decrypt it. Then you can just read anything that's in there. And, well, all the entries that are in the JSON are basically pretty much claims. And what's really important, don't forget that. Make sure that nobody has tampered with it and uh, use the, the last section to validate that. So do you, is it um, best to, to, so, to validate that every time you get a request from the user? Well, the best thing, because if, if you look at uh, this is all OpenID and OAuth stuff, and it's, it's really quite complex. And what we also see over time is the protocol keeps changing all the time because people start fi keep finding uh, well holes in it, which get patched all the time. So it's really important not to build this yourself. <laughs> Use some standard component that you can find, something that is in a Microsoft space or something that is uh, maybe some out of zero library, something like that. Something built by a, a trustworthy company. You can use these packages to, uh, well, do all of this for you. In .NET, this is all built into the .NET framework. So if you post a access token to an API and you have configured it co uh, correctly in your uh, in your app config, and if you have added the right packages, then Microsoft does all of this for you. Okay, nice. So yeah, so yeah, it's quite complicated, really, and it's it's also important to understand that it's important to do it right, not just go like, hey, I got this header here, and it's an access token, and it looks complicated, so it's probably right. <laughs> that's that, that's not yeah, the way yeah. to go. Maybe. So the identity yeah. provider, all they're doing is they're just doing authentication, right? You still do all the yeah. authorization parts on your side. Based exactly. on that, exactly. on that token, okay, yeah, yeah. and the claims, yeah. yep. okay, got it. So, yeah, when when using an identity provider, what do you suggest? Do you suggest that if someone feels the need that they have like identity server or Duende in their setup, 
or internally, or do you suggest they use something like Azure or Okta or something else? Uh, I have a terrible answer. It depends. <laughs> it really depends. And uh, That's always the best answer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the thing is, don't build it yourself. First of all, don't do that. That That's uh, just a common best practice not to build these things yourself because, like I said, it keeps changing all the time and it's really complex. So uh, you can use a couple of things to, well, you can you can take some off-the-shelf products. I uh, am familiar with OutZero, which uh, I really like. It's an identity provider as a service, basically. It's uh, very well documented. I, I really like to use their documentation for OAuth anyways because they really explain it well. But you can also, maybe use Azure Active Directory, something like that. All of these products are all OAuth kind of products. But like I said, it depends. Uh, Azure AD uh, might be something that is in your organization. People use that to log in anyways, and then that's a really good choice. But there are also scenarios where you have to federate with all sorts of third-party companies which don't really follow the standards, and, uh, well, that might get complicated sometimes. So if you use a standard uh, identity provider for uh, with something like OutZero, you have a pretty big chance that it's not going to work because it's just not compatible. So you can, well, write your own plugins there. But there's also this uh, a product I really like. It's called Identity Server. It's an uh, open source product in .NET. And uh, they built an OAuth slash OpenID implementation. And it's basically, as well, you can, can use that as, as a component in your, uh, your API landscape. And there's this other thing that I uh, discovered recently. It's from the Java world. You can host it in a container and it's called Keycloak. So basically, the, the, the big question that you need to answer is, can I use something in the cloud? Are maybe my users logging in in some company network, maybe in Azure AD? Or do I want to host it myself and not pay for the monthly active users? Because in all these uh, hosted uh, solutions, you pay for monthly active users. So this is something really important to keep in mind, how many people need to use it. And then you can choose to maybe host something yourself. And there are standard solutions like Keycloak and Identity Server that you can use to do that for you. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. I got another question and this is around single sign-on, but more from a company perspective. So for instance, you know, it's it's not going to be Spotify, but say, right, you're a payroll company or a travel company mm -hmm. like my company, right? And so your clients mm -hmm. are other companies and all of their users are logging into their system, whether it's Active Directory or whatever. And then they want to be able to mm -hmm. click a link inside their system and be logged in directly to yours. Have you dealt with that much? And what are some of the gotchas there? I know, for one, we've had to deal with some clients who are still using SAML over OpenID. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I dealt with that. <laughs> uh, 
Um, um, what can I say? Well, in, in Holland, we have this thing, it's called DigiD, and uh, probably never heard of it. This is this mechanism that we use in Holland to log into uh, like the, the IRS and uh, do all your legal stuff. And it's an identity provider. And when you want to have an account, they will send you a letter and you need to scan your passport with uh, NFC chips. And that's why they make sure that you, you are really you. And uh, they're using SAML. And I built a couple of websites uh, where we had to integrate with that. And yeah, <laughs> what were some of the gotchas? SAML is a protocol and you really need to know the protocol because there are like URLs or namespaces that you need to define with certain dots in between. And, and if you don't do that, your standard implementation doesn't work. And that's where I messed up most of the times that I didn't read the SAML specification good enough. And I would request them to configure things and they would do so. But I did. I asked for values that were not in the specification. So well, that were not conform to the specification. So that, that was kind of a, of, of a stupid thing to do. <laughs> and uh, we've all been most there. of the times when <laughs> At we least had... I have. Yeah, <laughs> that's good to hear. But uh, I have to say, uh, all the other implementations where we had to federate with something OpenID Connect kind of protocols, like OAuth 2, uh, and that would all go quite smooth, I must say. Didn't really have big problems yeah. there. There's another thing that does get interesting and that is say you uh, federate with multiple identity providers so say uh, you log in with digiday but you might also log in with gmail you might have the possibility that the person who's logging in is actually the same person but you get a different id so yep. how do you deal with that and uh, that's also quite an interesting question so whose id do you use and where do you manage that and, and well I think there are all sorts of correct answers. You could choose to maybe say, uh, I'm going to make a list and if somebody logs in with uh, ID uh, Gmail 1 and uh, DigiDay 5, that's Albert and I'll give him ID X. And then uh, you can use your X ID inside of your company network. But you could also say, hey, maybe it's not really required to make sure that this is one same person. So. These are all things that you need to consider because it makes things a lot more complex. You know, that's interesting because it makes me think of some of these services like Spotify or GitHub or something else, right? And they have multiple ways you can log on or multiple single sign-on clients. And if, if I haven't, like, saved the username and password or I don't quite remember, I may have created an account directly through them. And then I come back in and I log in through Gmail and now I have two accounts. <laughs> Right. It's, it's not going to send me mm -hmm. to the first account I created because it doesn't know right there. Like you said, there's no correlation unless the system has that built in some way. And there has to be that extra step mm -hmm. to tie those two together. Yeah. No. Mm -hmm. And there's also another thing with uh, OpenID Connect that is really big time voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> is if you federate <laughs> with one uh, ser service, uh, maybe they federate with another, and maybe they federate with another, and maybe they even federate yeah. with another. So you you get a chain. So if you click log out, where are you logging out? You're logging out from. Gotcha. Yeah. Hmm. So one situation I've been uh, exposed to sometimes is single sign-on doesn't become single sign-out. It becomes single username and password where an organization has multiple applications, you know, spread out to different departments, things like that. And they're using something like Okta, but yet you still have to sign on to everyone that you go to. So what's going on there? What's what's the issue where you know, you're not really getting that single sign-on where you can move from 
application to application, but you still get that single username and password. Yeah, well, I don't know really Okta specific things. I haven't really used Okta, but you're touching a very interesting subject there because a single sign on is uh, the big question is what are you signing on to? So, and uh, that tends to go wrong because what you want to have is you want to have an identity provider which you log on to and uh, you you can have a session there and also if you look to uh, OAuth the protocol you can see that it has different uh, ways of uh, signing somebody in and a little while ago OutZero used to have this nice flowchart where you could choose which way you should use to log on and uh, one of the questions they were asking is do you trust your application with the uh, username and password from the client and if the answer is no make sure that the your person who's logging in is entering his username and password in a secure place being the idp so and that's a really important thing to keep in mind so you want to have your idp be the secure place to be logged in and to have a session and to type your username and your password. And this is basically the safe haven. And and it just makes sure, sure that you are you and nobody else is, well, stealing your, your, hijacking your session, stealing your identity and so forth. So that means that if you log in there, you want to be, you want to stay logged in there and the APIs that you're maybe using across the, the landscape, they are supposed to be stateless. So you get this token, which allows you to use it on behalf of you. But a token is something that is valid for an X period of time. So maybe this token says that you're allowed to use an application for half an hour. After half this hour, you want to be able to get a new one. Or if you navigate to another service, you also want to get another token there. So this is all in a timeline. So usually you're first using your CRM application and then maybe you go to uh, your accounting application. And what's important is that then your IDP still has you logged in because the application will say, the accounting application, for example, will say, hey, I don't know who you are yet. Mr. IDP, can you please tell me who this is? So make a round trip to the IDP and gives you back a token and says, hey, this is Albert. And then you go to the next application and because, well, it is kind of stateless, it, it will say, hey, I don't know who this is. And it will go to the IDP and say, hey, who's this? And it will get a token and say, hey, this is Albert and so forth. So what is important to realize is that if you use OpenID and OAuth is a token is not the thing that says you're logged in. You're logged into the IDP and the token is just something that you can use for a little while. So also when you log out, you need to invalidate the token and you need to log out log out on the IDP. So there are two separate things. And well, this tends to go wrong often. So if each application requires a new login, even though they're using the same IDP, then that probably indicates that they're using different, what, keys or authorization. So the IDP thinks that they're not all the same and won't won't share that maybe, login? Maybe they're different tenants, something like that. So it, it's not configured as a single sign-on for the entire landscape. It's just maybe a, a tenant on Okta for one uh, application and maybe a tenant for another application. So you get like multiple mm. IDPs yeah. so there's not one other. shared session yeah. so yeah. yeah they're just that's... separate IDPs and that's something you don't want you want to have one central IDP yeah. so you so really the IDP get that knows, single sign-on IDP effect. knows the same username and password but it's saying okay I'm not going to give you the same token that this other application had 
this under the same organization. Yeah, that that could be. Or, stuff, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or maybe yeah. you're saying, I got this IDP and uh, maybe I want my users to log out after one minute automatically. So I don't want to keep the IDP logged in. That's also another common thing that happens. So you get this oh, token okay. but and you can use this token for an hour, but uh, maybe the session on the IDP expires. Maybe it's configured to expire after half an hour. So uh, you go back. Mm in time and the server will say hey uh, you need to log in so these are all different <laughs> possibilities that you can see there yep lots of challenges mm -hmm. oh, definitely yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we need to it's just a very it. abstract topic that's why we have a job <laughs> <laughs> definitely that's why albert has a job yeah <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's it's quite interesting as in another thing that we really see uh, uh, in the industry a lot is that, well, like I said, you get this token with this person and you need to store information that you use to well, to authorize. So what I, what I see really often is, is somebody supposed to see information about, well, customer X? So what do you do? Where do you do that? What I see a lot is that you you get these uh, these MVC applications uh, like uh, RESTful APIs, and uh, you get code, and it says like, okay, I'm gonna look at this access token. This is Fred. I'm gonna go to the database, see uh, if Fred is in company X, and then if he's not in company X, then I'm gonna throw a not authorized exception, and then I'm gonna go to my repository, and then I'm gonna query, and I'm gonna query where Fred, an organization, has ID X, and and so forth, and so forth, and what you end up with is an application that just mixes up authentication logic and application logic. And what's a really complex question is, when is something authentication logic and when is it business logic? And how do you separate the two? Mm -hmm. And well, this is something you can solve in different ways. But what I really like in the in the .NET framework is that you can use well, claims transformation to do that. So uh, you can really pull the two apart. So they introduced this concept uh, a long time ago. It used to be, I believe, claims augmentation. I have this uh, colleague and he, uh, he, he always keeps referring to SharePoint when I say this, because it, it, apparently it was a thing there. But in the .NET framework, uh, there was this uh, thing called claims augmentation. Now it's called claims transformation. What you can do basically, it's based on the .NET pipeline, execution pipeline. And what you can do is when somebody posts his access token to your API, or when somebody is logged into some MVC application, which also use with, uh, which also works with an, an API token, you get this ID identity object, and in the pipeline you can say before it actually goes to a controller, like I want to do something with this identity, I want to replace it, I want to add things to it, and this is really nice because if you do that, uh, you can pull the two apart. You can uh, use the .NET authentication framework. You can use concept called policies. Um, so what you can do is uh, when somebody posts to the API, add the context that makes sense to your application to the identity, you can add claims and further down the, 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 the chain, your application will think these are really authentic claims that come from the identity provider and you can use them to apply a policy. In the .NET framework, there's this nice tag called a policy and you can configure it to execute some, some business logic. So you can say, uh, maybe if somebody's accessing access is accessing uh, endpoint uh, slash organizations slash five slash uh, orders, you can use this, this policy to uh, to make sure that this person is actually a member of organization five. And what what happens is uh, then the code that's being executed is going to do only what it's supposed to do, just get this data from this database, and you don't need to bother about authentication logic anymore. And this 
really makes for neat, clean code. So uh, this is a concept that we really use a lot and uh, that I would really recommend. But also uh, another thing that's interesting in uh, the way that this is set up is that when you use the, the Microsoft framework, it, it's talking about policies. And I think this is also something really interesting. If you look at OAuth by itself, then it, it's talking about, there was actually a, a question somebody asked, says, so OAuth is this authorization protocol, right? So then why can you not use OAuth to actually authorize? And well, in OAuth, there's this concept called scopes, and it's also a claim. So when somebody logs in, you can, you as a user can give consent to use an API, or you can have your identity provider validate if somebody is allowed to uh, to do something. But there's a problem with that, because if you do that, you get into the situation I mentioned earlier, you get an IDP which needs to know everything that is in your API, all the scopes that is that are in your API. So instead, what you want to have is something abstract so that you can apply a policy. And if you have a policy, like the word implies, it's just a rule that is being executed based on your identity. And it's also not bound to time. So if you use the example of, say, you have an employee and he is uh, going to stay with the company for uh, maybe a year. So what are you going to do after a year? Will you maybe change this person's scopes? Do you want to do this manually? Or do you want to say, hey, I have this policy and my policy is that uh, the end date of the contract if that is earlier than today, then I don't want people to be able to my application. So by doing so, you can automate your security policy in your application directly so that you get you have less work to ma- uh, making sure that f- everybody who's allowed to use something is actually well, using it or is being denied access. And that way of thinking is, I think, uh, a really an interesting thing to do. It's not always applicable. Sometimes there are reasons that uh, organizations say, hey, um, I need to actually have a person allow and deny a person access because otherwise I'm not compliant to regulation X, Y, or Z. In that case, that these kind of concepts don't fly. But if if you're possible, if it's possible to apply a policy, it's, it's really going to save you a lot of headaches. So uh, I would definitely re- recommend that. So I had a question about, you know, thinking about GDPR and and tokens and identity providers and things like that. So somebody calls into your organization and says, you know, I want you to wipe my information, whatever, that identifies me from your system. So you go out your, your identity mm-hmm. provider and you, you know, remove their records. But the organization, organization still has the data that what they had generated or, or had been generated about that person. So mm-hmm. do if somebody then calls back in and says, hey, I need my data back, do they usually have some sort of a something that, that the customer only knows enabled to be able to restore that identity information or once so, somebody says wipe it you just there's no way to relink it back to that person it depends <laughs> there's <laughs> i mean it depends like what he is, is logging in with so say you're logging in with your your gmail account then you get well like i said you get this access token and this access token and also the id token contain this claim called subject id so i have a unique id which is provided to me by Google. And if I I have an IDP in my organization, which federates with Google, it will always get my Google unique ID. And if I use that in my landscape, and if I linked, say, a license or something like that to that ID, and when I log back in, then I will just get my old 
stuff back. But okay. uh, say uh, you implemented uh, your uh, you implemented identity server, for example. So you, you're you're doing this yourself, or maybe you have Azure Active Directory, and uh, you're removing this uh, this account from there, and you're creating a new uh, account. It's very likely that you will have an, another subject ID, and when you log back in, then then it's poof gone and there's yeah. no way to find it back because it's just a random id so yeah. you really don't know. i was just think, thinking that maybe if, if you did store some sort of a secondary information that the user volunteered that was encrypted somehow and they said this is me and here's my little secret passphrase that i used in my original login you could get it back that way but yeah i totally understand that if it's only the connection between your application and the idp has been broken you can get it back you know fairly straightforward but if the actual account in the IDP has been deleted, then that's going to be a much bigger challenge to you know reconnect if somebody wanted to do that. So yeah, that makes exactly. sense. Albert, do you think things like GDPR are going to become more common? I know they, they make things more difficult for us as developers and for companies, but I, I do appreciate right the the focus on privacy and protection of users' data. Do you do you see it? I don't think we'll ever do it here in the U.S., but do you see it happening elsewhere in the world? Oh my! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is know, a tricky question. How well right? is it gone? I guess you know that's kind of that's kind of yeah. You know, that's, that, we're not that we're, we're not in Europe. We're not in Europe. Right. So I mean, how well is as the GDPR process gone? You know, I haven't heard of anybody getting those humongous fines that could potentially come along with the GDPR violation. But you know, we get different news than than in than in Europe. So how well is it gone? Frankly, I think we have a long way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's 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 not only things like uh, like the subjects that we're talking about right now, but what we see a lot here is uh, it's in the news that some agency, like some some federal agency, uh, made boo boo and somebody downloaded like personal data of like uh, uh, half of the Dutch pep population, things like that. But it's what what we see a lot is that companies don't. Uh, the different departments in organizations don't take responsibility. They say, hey, this is not my responsibility. It's their responsibility. And that department says the same mm. thing. So, but I think like GDPR, uh, security, things like that, it's everybody's responsibility. And what's also a thing is we, I don't think we often enough realize that there are really mean people out there that abuse your software. So I really like this concept of threat modeling. When you have a user story that you also think about how could somebody maybe abuse this and how can we make sure that that doesn't happen? Because I think most of the, the places where things go wrong is in functionality that we just didn't look too carefully enough. So, uh, but that's that's my personal opinion. No, okay. I, I appreciate that. that said, that. is there anything, yeah. yeah, is there anything else that yeah, we should cover before we move on to picks? I don't think so. What do you think? I think that was a really good discussion. I think there's a lot uh, yeah. that we went over in it's kind of a short amount of time. And hopefully it yeah. provides some good information to our listeners. So that would be great. I hope so. <laughs> and if there, if you do think of something that we didn't cover, and you whatever, we can have you back on the show sometime. Yeah. Cool. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So we'll move on to picks then, and uh, I guess I will go first. And my pick this week is season three of Lock and Key. 
I really enjoyed this uh-huh. Netflix show. And really wasn't that long ago that season two came out, but just uh, this week they released season three. So I'm going to be starting to, uh, to watch that this weekend and, you know, really see what's going on in the show. So I really liked it. So I haven't seen it yet. What's it about? You seen either of the seasons? Oh, it's, uh, well, let me give you the, the spiel here that they have is, you know, <laughs> after their dad's murder, three siblings move in with their mom to this ancestral estate where they discover there's magical keys that unlock powers and secrets to different abilities that the, pe- the people can have. And so there's lots of different things. That they just, you know, different types of keys with different powers that they find. And of course, then other people are also trying to get the keys and so on and so forth. And the lots of, lots of mystery and things like that going on with it. So yeah, if you like kind of that kind of thing, lock and key is, is really addictive. So sit down and binge walk it. Binge watch it if you need to, but it's really good. Sounds Please great. watch the, uh, the trailers and check it out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice. All right, Caleb, what's your pick? Yeah. So my pick is a book I've been reading. Very interesting topic. It's uh, it's called A Lifespan, Why We Age and Why We Don't Have to. And it goes deep into the research that's being done around aging and how we've all just come to accept that aging is going to happen when it's from the perspective of the author and the research. Aging itself is a, is a disease and there are ways to combat it and slow it down and have a longer lifespan as well as, you know, better quality of life. So. I'm not done with it, but it, cause it's, it's, it's involved, right? It gets pretty deep, but it's, it's been a really good read so far. So yeah, lifespan. Okay, cool. All right, Albert, what's your pick for us? Yes, uh, I, I definitely have a pick and that is definitely my daughter and my girlfriend <laughs> because <laughs> May 10th, three months ago, my daughter was born. And what I, what I really hope is that maybe in 20 years, my, my daughter will find this episode on the internet and that she will hear that she is definitely the best and that I'm really proud of her. So, oh uh, and what's your yeah, name? that's definitely my pick. Her name is, her name is Chloe, Chloe Adriana after my, uh, my grandmother, her great grandmother. So, and she's really proud. So, uh, it's really great. Very nice. Very nice. Very cool. Okay. So, Albert, if our listeners have questions and they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So, I have this blog and I write on Medium. It's uh, abstarreveld, S-T-A-R-R-E-V-E-L-D dot medium dot com. And I have some articles there which you can respond to. And uh, you can also email me to uh, astarreveld at uh, vxcompany.com. And uh, definitely reach out if you have questions. Okay. Thanks, Albert. And thanks for coming on the show. Well, thanks if our for listeners having me. Have, yeah. If our listeners have questions or feedback for the show, we'd love to hear from you. They can reach me on Twitter. I am at .NET Superhero. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm at Caleb Wells Codes. I love that part of the right. show. I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, everybody. Uh-uh. And we'll catch our listeners on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.